All right, guys, welcome to the Redemptification Podcast. Man, I'm excited today. It's been a little bit to get this guest here. Luke Roush is a co-founder and managing partner of Sovereign's Capital. Been doing that since 2012, and they've made investments into more than 80 different um, investments, and they're doing great work in the world. But what I love about Luke is he's like a modern-day Captain America. This is a guy that is a good, wholesome guy from America that sports and good smile and loving on people. And I think he's one of the best guys out there for you to um, hear talk about the subjects we're going to talk about and some of the good he's doing in the world. So thank you, Luke, for getting on with us today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share, John. Your your intro is more than generous. And, uh, you know, people say that your reflection of um, the five or 10 people that you hang out with the most. So it's uh, as much a reflection of who I've uh, had a chance to hang out with in my life as anything else. Isn't that the story? I love Doug Ditto, our mutual friends quote. He my said, favorite. it's more important who you're with than what you're doing. And if you and I can say we've been blessed, it's because we're around people that um, are great and they rub off some. So maybe right. over time right. we can pick it up. That's right. So That's I'm right, going to start a little different with you what are you excited about today luke like if i had to say give me something that you're really excited about today well i'll tell you so you know a topic that i've been excited about for the last 10 years that i think more and more people are getting excited about today which gives me hope and mm-hmm. gives me encouragement is this idea that uh that god owns it all you know and mm-hmm. i found for a good chunk of my life my wife and I were really prayerful on uh, how do we shepherd what God's entrusted to us in terms of tithe, but mm-hmm. we were uh, less intentional in thinking through how do we also steward uh, the treasure that that God's put in our life, and not just financial, but also relational uh, and uh, and just intellectual. And so, trying to figure out how do I let God have dominion over all those things is something that really led to our journey with Sovereign's Capital. And uh, and it's, I think, activating a lot of people here in the U.S. and around the world to just reimagine what does their resource map look like and how do mm-hmm. they leverage the entirety of that for, uh, for God's kingdom. And it looks different for each of us, which is one of the great joys. I love that idea. Um, we call it, in some ways, for the influence side, a stakeholder map. But talk to us a minute about this resource map. If you had to pick some big points on a resource map. What does a resource map to, to you look like? Yeah, so a great, great question. Uh, oftentimes it involves uh, your church. Uh, it involves your community, involves your family. We've got a resource map that we use within our firm, uh, Sovereign's Capital, that looks at uh, each team member and uh, what are the churches that we attend? What are the organizations where we serve? Uh, what are the entities and charities where we give? And then how do we map out our collective influence so that as one of us is maybe looking to figure out how do we be more effective philanthropically with respect to orphan care or adoption, there's probably someone on the team uh, who can speak into that and help us to um, to be more thoughtful in what God's called us to do in, in various areas. And so, you know, there's there's things that as a group, we've got total alignment on and that we're all working on together. And then there's other areas where uh, maybe one or two of us are are more focused and specialized and trying to figure out what do we do individually? What do we do collectively? And then how do we re- leverage that map for uh, optimal impact is uh, is something we spend a lot of time thinking about. But we didn't start thinking about it until about three years ago. 
uh, which was a miss for the first seven years of our history. No, I, I agree with you. And I love what you're saying. You know, I've had this experience in the last few months where Ash and I took on this specialized food plan and exercise plan that's woven together. And we weigh every ounce of our food. We have all, every snack and every meal and every exercise lined up. And the amount of gains I've experienced have blown my socks off. I'm we in the best good. shape of, of my dang adult life. No kidding. I even think I'm getting a hint of abs. They're coming in. I think I may <laughs> actually have them under there. They've been under a comforter for a long time, but they're coming okay. out. And so all I'm saying, like you're saying, getting abs ain't easy. Mm. And nobody gets them if they don't do the work. But and, and your intentionality to this is beautiful because there are people on our team who have paid the price to have more wisdom and genius and, and, and gifting around a certain area. And if we can't leverage that within the our team, how much more difficult we start going outside trying to find answers somewhere else. And, right. and so you first got to know what's each team member's gift, right? And, right? and where they focus. And it involves, you know, some amount of vulnerability, right? Because, um, you know, for most of us, um, and certainly me, I've got some areas of strength and I got a whole bunch of areas of non-strength. <laughs> so admitting, admitting kind of where am I, uh, you know, where do I feel like I'm at least serviceable in terms of competency? And then what are all the areas where I'm not serviceable? And how do I surround myself or engage with people who are really great in those areas uh, and vice versa? You know, that involves some vulnerability, some transparency that, you know, our world generally doesn't celebrate. And yet, as the body of Christ, we know that different people, right? Like if I'm an eye or if I'm an ear yeah. or a hand, yeah. I need to know what my job is so that right. then I can be a part of a more collective whole body um, of, you know, believers all kind of running in the same direction. And in some cases, you know, there are um, skills, competencies, and abilities that are not served necessarily by believers. So how do we collaborate in uh, a number of ways that are very appropriate with the secular world? You know, we do not as a group, I think want to, you know, resort to retreating into some sort of a holy huddle. Uh, we need to be in the world uh, and engaged with the world and collaborating where we can with the world uh, and yet uh, not lose sight of the fact that we do it all for the glory of God, not for our own uh, self, or not because we think we can solve our own problems. So you nailed it. And I mean, I think that that two different things, one is inside the group of those who believe, like I'm thinking about a conflict that that um, that we're current that I'm currently working through. And I came up with four dispositions that I wanted to know as I'm getting on a call with another believer and trying to work through a disagreement we have. Mm. And, 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 and I said, you know, and this has got all the, all the usual suspects, friendship, sharing our faith, working yeah. together, you know, all this stuff. And so it's, you know, I asked God, I said, man, this stuff seems so tangled. And what he put on my heart was all oh, the difference entangled and woven is intention. And you got to ask yourself if I'm intentionally working with you and in these things. And I say, oh, yes, you are, Lord. So I said, there's four things we could do. We can we can reconcile and continue to do business together. We can reconcile and not continue to do business together. We can not reconcile and not do business together. Or we can try to fight about who's right. Now, if you'll tell me which one's the goal, then, then I'm going to get real clear on what, what methods I need to be using to collaborate with you to get, because my goal is reconciliation. Honestly, that's 
more so than any other single thing, because I believe it's a key characteristic of being a, a, a believer and, and not even to do with business. That needs to be our life characteristic and it sure should be in business. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And look, you know, if you're dealing with people, uh, for as long as people are involved, uh, you're going to have uh, differences and you're going to have things that need to be reconciled. You know, if you got a company that's purely like an uh, intellectual property estate or something like that, maybe mm -hmm. it's a catalog, right. maybe not that many people involved, but you know, even then, you know, there's always even then you want to sue somebody over whether or not it's another song running underneath that, like they just that's did. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. so, conflict is conflict is normal. It's neutral and it's natural. It's what you do with it. And um, you guys, do y'all test personalities? How do you match people inside of Sovereign, either inside y'all's company or companies you invest in? How do y'all bring better alignment? What's some of the tools you use? So we use a tool, uh, we use a number of different uh, tools, but the one that we've used most consistently over the last 10 years is a tool uh, called uh, Professional Dynametric uh, Programs, PDP. Uh, and we go through a company called Know Your Strengths. It does that. And it really is about helping people understand how they're naturally wired on different dimensions. So extroversion, introversion, uh, high pace, low pace, high conformity, low conformity. And then trying to think about like, what is the role that we're, going to ask someone to do who's been successful in that role within our organization and uh, you know who we're looking for uh, needs to be able to map more or less against the characteristics that make someone successful in that role and there's a pretty good range right in most roles you know you don't have to be totally typecast into yeah. one one particular profile but you know you got to recognize that it's sort of like a rubber band the more you stretch someone out, of kind of where they're naturally wired, the more it's kind of always pulling them back. And so we just want to at least help them understand that. We want to understand that when we're bringing people onto into our family. And then uh, particularly once they're a part of the organization, uh, then we need to help them understand um, when they communicate, here's what people with different profiles are hearing, right? And when they communicate with you, if they're coming from a different profile, then you know what they say might be different than what you hear and vice versa. And so a lot of the work that we do, John, is around how do we help people communicate more effectively and understand how different profiles communicate differently, right? It's not dissimilar to first started doing business in Japan about uh, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. And if they say, mm, that may be difficult, that's very different than- uh, In the U.S., huh? Yeah, all right. So, you know, just understanding context matters a lot. So relationships and this communication in this context is a huge amount of time invested by you guys in your own company and the companies you help steward. Is that right? Totally, totally. You know, and what I always tell our team is that um, in the absence of communication, everyone assumes the worst. And, you know, I know that I've experienced that for you know 20 years, 25 years. And yet I still forget it. And so when I don't hear from a CEO for two, yeah. three months, I immediately think something must be jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, I say it sometimes. I said in the absence of communication, we go negative. Yes. And totally. and it's sad. I mean, but it is that way because you remember the last time you had no communication, somebody threw a flaming bag of manure with holes in it at you or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. So we try to over communicate 
And, uh, you know, the other thing is, I think particularly in today's work environment where everybody's remote, uh, the, um, the importance of keeping a short list of accounts. If there's something that's bothering me about Henry, man, I better call him up and tell him, you know, within a day or two of, hey, this is kind of troubling me. And I just got to get it out on the table. It's like taking stones that I naturally want to carry in my you know, knapsack around and just unloading them, right? right. Or it's like an onslaught. of Because then know, one day you've got a knapsack full of stones, right? And he bumps it and all of them go on him. That's right. That's <laughs> or somebody right. else. Short list of accounts. And also, you know, keeping clear on sort of, you know, if we're frustrated by one thing, trying to keep that thing segmented to that issue and not having it spill over into all these other things. We've all had experiences in marriages or as parents where we've just kind of let one thing affect something else. And then it's very confusing for the people that we're working with of like, what's going on here? Like what, what usually it's not that one thing, it's something else that led to where we are today. And then you just end up with, you know, a random uh, match in the tinderbox. Right. Well, and it, it is difficult. You know, I, I tell two things about that, especially unforgiveness. And all of us deal with this is nuclear waste in the basement. Oh, I yeah. said, when you bump into this, I said, how do you know if you have unforgiveness? Well, you'll probably be fussing with them in the shower and they're not there and you win. And I said, <laughs> so if, 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 a, if a conflict you have is not just hysterical, but historical, mm. there's unforgiveness, right? Oh, that's because good. it has the power of a past. Con- like me and Ash used to start out over microwave popcorn and end up on your mama and my mama. You remember when, you know, you're back in, and you're like, no, this is not about microwave popcorn anymore. And so all of us have this in companies. I mean, the model of conflict resolution, care over communicating in companies, those tools are still not that commonplace in most in most people's world. Now, you're right. You're right. And it's one of the things that actually, I think, gives our profession a bad reputation. So, you know, one of the reasons why private equity is so maligned is that uh, in a lot of cases, um, they're either one of a a couple of things go wrong. One is that there's not clarity around expectations on the front end. Uh, So, you know, a private equity firm might dance around how long they're going to hold an investment or, uh, how they're going to decide whether they put additional growth equity into the investment. They just kind of remain a little bit nebulous on that because they don't really want to get out in the open on a shorter hold period, for example, or you know some milestones that are definitely going to need to be hit before additional capital is, is put in. Um, and so what we've found is that the more you can be clear around expectations on the front end and you know in the interim, if there's something that's not going well, you need to be able to talk about that uh, without too much time going by. Uh, otherwise, you know, the CEO gets frustrated or the firm gets frustrated. Or, you know, if the board uh, if the board meeting goes into executive session with more than about 20 minutes left, uh, sometimes that is indicative of uh, a problem. Mm. And so that's a that's one of those like it's not always the case uh, in case you're listening to this and I'm on your board and we go into executive <laughs> session. 40 minutes left. Don't anticipate that there's a problem. But, you know, sometimes that that is an issue. Well, and it's, again, we go back to this thing. One thing I realized about expectations is expectations are unvoiced demands. And Mm -hmm. I really find mine and others find theirs when we bump into them, right? When they're not met. And, um, And so one thing I realized that we use, and we use the terminology provisional plan and promise from our buddy Steve Cockrum, Provisional, no idea is a bad idea. Let's brainstorm. 
plan. We're going there, but we don't know how. Promise come hell or high water, we gave our word. Yeah. And, and we're speaking all three of those in a conversation and people are associating where they believe we are. And what our team has learned to do is let's tell us what's provisional. Because mm-hmm. for me, I speak about 80 to 90% provisional. And if you've got a position of authority, people take it as a plan mm. or a promise. And so we have to, and, and we have to identify that. And that's really a difficult thing. And I know when you go talk to somebody about a deal, they're wondering, does he want us to do it? Is this something he's thinking about? Or, and so how do y'all kind of navigate that? Yeah. So this is something I've learned the hard way. This is a, you know, we have a motto in our firm from the early days that we don't publicize as much today because it just feels a little bit less professional, but I'll let you in on it. Henry and I used to say in the first three years uh, that we just want to suck less tomorrow than we did today. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, this is an area where uh, we've learned to stink less than we did yesterday in part because we've made so many mistakes. And so and they're so painful, it makes an impression. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Smart people learn from other people's mistakes. Most of us learn from our own. And so I uh, I really feel like uh, this is an area where um, we have not uh, we have not always done it well. Uh, I have learned as I work with different people on our team, um, if I come across a deal and I say, hey, I'm interested in this deal, it really means what it says, which is I'm interested in this deal. I don't know whether this is a deal that we should do. And yet, in the absence of knowing for certain, I always tell our group, we want to sell for the right to buy, right? Like, we don't know yet. They don't know yet whether they want us as a partner. We don't know yet whether we want to be partnered with them. But as we're getting to know each other, we need to be able to put forth an idea that, hey, maybe we do really want to partner with you. And so let's behave that way rather than just sending over 20 questions for them to answer and fill fill out and send back. Let's actually spend a little more time being relational, understanding where God has them, where they want to go with the business. And, you know, really importantly, Henry and I learned this, it's we don't fall in love with our dream for what we're going to do with the business. We fall in love with their dream for what they're going to do with the business. And so we are not in the business of actually changing out management teams and taking control of, you know, the operating company and putting our own CFO and CEO in place. Uh, we largely, not always, but almost always, we want to find teams that are functioning really, really well and where the senior leadership wants to roll their equity forward and be shareholders with us. And so uh, anyways, falling in love with their dreams, not our dreams, and also being clear around where are we in our process so that it doesn't come across as transactional, but comes across with what we want to aspire to, which is more of a relational engagement. Well, and they get this, you know, dress rehearsal of what it's like to deal with you guys. What does it mean to do something with these guys? What's it going to be like as we work through it? Um, so so what do you wish people knew about it coming to you with a business that very few people know? And what do you think that uh, that you see people now doing that you're glad they know? So what do they not know? come to you unprepared or not with what you want or, and then what are some things you've seen lately? We said, man, these guys just nailed it. This is exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, maybe this, there's some distinctives in terms of like what we're looking for versus what a lot of other private acts. So I can speak to what we're most focused on rather than, um, you know, what I think is generally true. In Let's do that. Cause sovereign is quite different in the approach they're taking to this yeah. and, and with a kingdom forward instead of, 
stamping that at the end. So that changes the dynamics of everything you do because yeah. it's supposed to be to the glory of God, right? Yeah. And so generally we're looking for uh, founders or business leaders to come to us with uh, a need that is not purely financial. So um, we have the ability to write checks. We do write checks, in some cases, large, che large checks. But uh, what we're also looking to understand is like, what else do they need? And so, um, you know, we understand how to sometimes make other acquisitions around a core platform. Uh, we understand how to raise additional capital over time. We understand how to help founders think a little more strategically in terms of uh, organic growth and use of technology in their firm. They've got a great business, but maybe always aren't always using technology in a way that uh, optimizes uh, the operations of the business. And so we want to hear some things where we can do more than, and we want to hear that they really want a values aligned partner. They want someone who will covenant with them where the business is going to go, not just economically, but also uh, spiritually and from a stewardship perspective. And so we're very focused on like listening for what can we do beyond just stroking a check that might be impactful to help these individuals and kind of meet them where they are and where God's calling them? So because if it's only a dollar thing, there's other people who will do dollar things. You guys are going to invest your life, your relationships, your influence. Yeah, that's right. That. That's right. Yeah. And so so we're looking for for that. Uh, you know, there are certain businesses where the kind of culture that we feel like we want to be a part of building in and through our portfolio. Um, there, there are certain businesses, certain industries where uh, that um, those things are more likely to correlate with business success. Um, and then there are other you know businesses that are no better or worse, but they're just a little less relational where we probably are going to be less able to value add. And so, you know, what we've learned is that there's tons of businesses out there. We look at a hundred, we make one or two investments. And so uh, we want to be patient and, uh, and really thoughtful around our cadence and pacing and making sure we start with a relationship. You know, we always say we want to, uh, we want people to have us as a partner because we are more of a line rather than a dot. We want to invest in lines, not dots. You know, it's easy to look at a company that's going through a transaction and say, here's where they are. But if you've had a chance to kind of walk with each other for a mile or maybe two miles, you've got a much better, clearer understanding of how is this going to be once we're married and kind yeah. of running down the road together. No, it makes sense. What, what do you wish people knew? I mean, how, how often do you get something you just go, man, it seems like folks would know that if, if they want to talk to somebody like this, they should. Mm. I think having a clear sense, you know, I'm always surprised that when we ask the question, um, what is the, what is the use of funds? So if we're going to put growth equity into a business, um, how do you need to use the money? What are the things that you need to invest in? Um, I'm always surprised that people are kind of like, let me get back to you on that. Right. They've got kind of <laughs> an idea that it's like, you know, are, are we acquiring customers? Are we building technology? Is there working capital required? And so, you know, depending on which fund we're coming out of, right, we've got an early stage venture fund, right? And they're building jets, right? If you want to build a jet, then buy jet fuel, which is what we right. do through venture portfolio. Uh, and then there's also lower middle market funds, which are more, you know, cash flowing, stable investments. A lot of times that capital is really to re, um, retread on the cap table and, uh, and do a secondary transaction, allow some people to get liquidity, some people stay in. So, but, but it's stabilized, and y'all are y'all are coming from a different approach on that. Different approach, yeah. yeah. So, 
having a having a sense of like the founders know what they need capital for. That's really important. Number one. Number two is sort of what do they want to build together? And we should talk about something beyond just we want to grow 20% year over year for the next 10 years, right? There needs to be something else like the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? If there's one thing that we've learned, it's that um, founders who are motivated back to Simon Sinek's famous TED talk on start with the why, if they're motivated by the why, that's likely to um, produce a resilience in their focus on the mission that they're serving. Um, if there's not really a why, it's really just about the manufacturing and distribution of more widgets. That's going to be less compelling. Team's going to be less sticky, harder to recruit, you know, much more, many more questions about whether they can navigate through a downturn. Uh, so we, we like starting with the why. It's so important um, because you guys, I mean, really you're in things for the foreseeable future, right? You're not, you don't set out and say, we're going to get in this and, this is going to be, do y'all ever have a time horizon that you think? And yeah. um, and how do y'all think about that? So our funds are different in terms of the time horizon that they serve, but most of them are 10-year funds with the option at the GP's extension uh, or GP's uh, discretion to be able to extend a couple of years. So think of them as kind of 10 to max 12-year funds. Um, you know, for us, we need to be able to define some time horizon because, uh, a number of our financial partners, uh, investors have asset liability matching that they're trying to do, but some of our funds have an indefinite time horizon and are able to hold forever. Um, we like to believe that in the long term, and even really in the medium term, the likelihood that you can make decisions that are in favor of human flourishing, in favor of really creating world-class culture, and having those decisions correlate to business results very high in the medium to long term. Um, we believe that short term investment decision making uh, puts mm -hmm. people at odds with profit more so than we would like. And so we don't do really anything inside of five or seven years. Everything we do is sort of aimed at kind of seven to 10 years uh, time frame. We feel like that's long enough to be able to get involved in getting grand Add value and see it show up and right the whole thing. Well, it's interesting, you know, and and as y'all guys, I believe y'all move some into real estate, right? We we have we actually acquired merged with, with a great guy. Yeah, so with Ben, and so we've got a particular focus on multifamily housing out of that fund. We feel like creating community, particularly Class B you know, B minus workforce housing type apartments and uh, in other uh, housing units, we, we think there's a unique opportunity in that sector to reimagine what community looks like. I think it's great. You know, I, I love, and for us, we love the fact that we can start operational businesses and align them with real estate and really grow the value of our assets because the dollar of rents and a dollar of operational income is quite different dollars. That's right. And well, so guys, it, it allows that well. leverage. That's right. And you guys have done it well. I mean, one of the things that John, you've said before that I'll always remember mm. is that um, the most environmentally real estate that exists is the real estate that has already been built and mm. uh, figuring out ways to sort of reimagine, recreate, redefine, existing spaces, these treasures, you know, in small towns and in big cities all over America uh, represents a huge opportunity for um, real estate investors. It takes sweat, 
right? Yeah. There's more human labor rather than just more materials labor that goes in. But when we think about well, and that, that labor, puts people to work, meaningful work. Right. I mean, I love what Jess Carell and I talk about sometimes. He said it flips the script from 80% material to 20% labor to 20% material and 80% labor. And so one thing we do say that I think is, is that think about this. It's what's been given. There's something about what God has entrusted us. I mean, he even said, you know, you'll live in buildings you didn't build and eat from vineyards you didn't plant. And there's something beautiful about the last generation's aspirations and work. And I'm not saying it fits everybody, but it has a tremendous, some of the buildings that we can invest in in the places we couldn't build them for $1,000 a square foot. And they sit there and you can buy them for $5 a square foot. Yes. So it's it's that dynamic of what's been given and what's fallen into disrepair and unlove. So That's right. I do think that matters. So I, I love that. And, and it's also gives us a chance to launch businesses and create flourishing. I mean, we say our basic definition of flourishing is when the people who have the least are experiencing the most. Mm. That's when a place flourishes. Mm. I love that. I love that. Well, and it's it's uh, to your point, it's what we all want. We want our dollars to do more than get more dollars. We expect that because, again, you don't you don't plant fig trees that don't make figs. That seems dumb. You know, and like you go buy the figs at Kroger and, and put them on this bush. It ain't ever a fig tree till it starts making figs. That's right. And Jesus not hot on them bushes that don't make figs. You can see that in the scripture. So our businesses create social, spiritual and economic capital. That's figs. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you're here. You're here. And, and that's what you guys do. Well, and it's such a it's such a wonderful opportunity through business. You know, one of our other partners, Casey Crawford, his chief pastoral officer, Stephen Phelan, is also our chief pastoral officer. And one of the things that he always says is that, um, you know, the difference, one of the differences between and again, look, uh, our our role as business leaders is not to recreate church outside the church. Right. The church is God's you know, plan A to reach and convenience people, and there is no plan B. Having said that, uh, you know, whereas you go to church and you tithe, you're actually writing checks as part of being a church member, um, you know, in the context of business, you know, we pay people to come to work, uh, and we have them for 40 hours or, or more a week. Boy, if the church would take that strategy, they could get a lot more coming in there if they could pay That's people right. to come, couldn't they? <laughs> There's huge potential for impact. Right? The, the built spaces, the constructed spaces that you right. create impact uh, communities, you know, 10 times more uh, per hours per week than, uh, than the church. There's a, there's a unique... Um, we, should, we should have a synergy, not compete, but complete one another. There you go. That's right. That's exactly right. And we've been kind of missing it as business leaders, I think, for a long time. Um, well, I can't believe how many churches I've heard from have now, even in our area, that, that are following the faith-driven movement. And so I think it is the kind of the heartbeat behind this is that we begin to bring this common language and unity to what we do agree on, that God cares about business right. and that he cares about that every dollar of capital invested or deployed is something worth stewarding. And, and it has a responsibility aligned with it. You're here. So I love what you're saying. And I, tell us about chief pastoral officer. I ha haven't heard this before. Give us a little lens on that for those of us who, who haven't seen that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, you know, the, um, the concept is that, uh, you know, whether it's uh, pastoral care inside the organization with a, a role that someone's filling or whether it's, um, 
you know, uh, a marketplace chaplain or corporate chaplains of America, both great organizations that have thousands of chaplains serving companies all over. The idea is that we want to be able to uh, have everyone bring their whole self to work and that we want to be able to care for that whole self. And what that looks like is not just, you know, a steady paycheck and competitive benefits. It also involves um, being able to care for the mental, emotional needs that that come up. And, uh, you know, we've all found ourselves in ditches on things either relating to, you know, our marriage or kids or outside business dealings that have become challenging or extended family. And so uh, investing in people who can in, who can reinforce that um, that core value of who we are is really really important. Yeah, just somebody uh, you know, just to be there and intercede with them and to care and have that because everybody needs it. Nobody is is a silo, and so it's great to have that in your company and. Um, what about in y'all's businesses? Once you buy something, how do you deal with? Is there ever ever local capital other than the purchase your person you're purchasing the business from? Do other people in the community come alongside you, and how, how does that work in in some yeah. of that? And then also, how do people do, when y'all guys do you raise capital at certain times and people invest with you in a certain way? Can you give us a little landscape of that? Yeah. So the idea, one of the things we say is we want to be part of a forest. We don't just want to be a tree standing in the middle of a field. And so to the extent that we want to be a part of a forest, uh, oftentimes that means including other people in uh, rounds that we put together. Uh, what we always look for is um, the folks who can bring some specific expertise, either about the industry, the geography, or one of the core functions like sales expertise. And so we'll usually look to syndicate deals that we're a part of based on um, expertise and competency in one of those three, three areas. And sometimes it's other firms that, that we've gotten to know well and have gotten comfortable with, have a similar mindset around value creation and timeframe. Um, so that's, that's kind of how, how we think about working with others. We think that, that you know, the largest fund that we've ever raised as a firm is a fund of funds where we invest in other faith-driven general partners that are called to go and, and do the work that God's put in front of them. They do it in a different way than Sovereigns does. But a few years ago, we identified that um, we wanted to see more founders uh, or general partners of these firms be encouraged to embrace their faith as they go about their work. So that's that's one of the ways that we feel like it's important to kind of build an ecosystem, not just a, 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 a diversified asset manager, but really build an ecosystem of faith-driven investors. Um, yeah, on your other question of kind of how do we raise capital every few years, each of our strategies goes through a fundraising cycle. Um, it's both wonderful to be able to tell our stories, <laughs> to get out and, and do that work, uh, particularly in an environment right now that just has a lot of uncertainty. But by God's grace, we've had just the right amount of capital and all of our funds and, uh, you know, we're, we're enjoying what we're doing. So that's that's a part of my job that I used to really not enjoy and i've learned to enjoy it and lean into it uh, when uh, that's a part of my day well and i know a lot of our friends are in the funds with you people mentors i have and all and i'm just so you guys have an excellent reputation and um you're 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 thoughtful about what you're doing and with every dollar i love my buddy brent, brent b shore says two things he said uh money comes with people and then the people is the big thing, you know, having that right. relationship with them. It's their capital, but it's the relationship with them. And then secondly, 
in some ways, we can use our funds to force virtue. We can say, hey, this is what we believe. And if you want to invest alongside us, this is how we're going to honor God. And if you want to come in, then that virtue is decided by the the, the methodology we go about it. And that's something that I think is interesting, that concept of forced virtue when people do business with us. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a great point, John. You know, in, in the original foundational principle of sovereigns uh, was that capital has influence and uh, that influence can be a good thing or it can be a challenging thing. And so, you know, nowadays, a lot of people like to complain about Larry Fink and BlackRock and sort of, you know, what's happened what was originally something that we all felt good about with ESG is kind of you know shifted in a different direction in more recent years. And I think that as believers, it's our job not to just complain about that reality, but to actually wade in and be a part of uh, having our voice be heard. So to your point, you know, there's there's some that would say, hey, we need to retreat from embracing uh, or sorry, engaging mm-hmm. with some of these different companies. I actually think that um, how we vote our proxies on public companies how we vote with our dollars in terms of asset managers that we allocate to, and then at the same time, encourage them towards what God might be uh, pushing them into. I think there's a great opportunity to actually seize that influence that we all have as believers who are also investors, rather than just abdicate that authority to others. It's, it's one of the great opportunities of our time, particularly the next 10 or 15 years. Well, and I think something you've hit, and I believe this deeply, I was talking to somebody about us the other day, is influence is something given by God to be stewarded. And I would say just as intentional as your dollars. I totally agree. And so we have a responsibility to, I mean, people care how, when, when you show up somewhere or I show up somewhere or the folks listening to this, people care. That's right. They do care. And we have an opportunity like, you know, I never knew this. I learned this in the most silly way, but it's not, I guess, silly for me. I should have got it. But when my father passed away, my partner, Brad, just came and sat beside me and listened to me cry. He didn't say anything. He just sat with me. And then when his dad died unexpectedly, it was only 50 something years old. I sat beside him. And I said, now when somebody's sitting beside me, I know what it feels like somebody's presence. So this must be how valuable mine is for somebody else. And so that's what we see here. We all can be a somebody for somebody. It it matters. That influence dang matters. Amen. Amen. And, you know, there's a there's a huge, huge potential. You know, one of the things that we say, my mom used to say uh, two things. My mom used to say, you catch more flies with sugar than you do with salt. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and it's true and the way that manifests in kind of what we do is we talk about we want to be known for what are we for rather than what we're against you know as believers i think there's a temptation day to day for us to wade into whatever the latest debate all of which we have real strong views on but the tendency mm-hmm. is to kind of wade in and, and just be critical of what we see out there right whether it's mm-hmm. you know, whatever the they need to is. fix this change this do yeah. this like we want to back up the truck and say, hey, we want to be provi- providers of capital to businesses where we see human flourishing occurring, where we see a full manifestation of the gospel and what it looks like to love your neighbor in and through a company, right? To be redemptive, restorative, creative in the work that we're doing. We want to be able to be positively screening and known for what we're for rather than just what we're against. Yeah, you know, I, it's funny. I heard the term. They said everybody's got their shoulds. You should do this. You should do that. I tell people stop shoulding on everybody. 
Yeah. You know, because it, 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 we don't need to do that as believers. We've got the word of God, which is we've got the mother load. We've yes. got all truth that we need to make decisions and flourish. And all we have to do is take biblical principles and make it applicable. Back to that business conflict I mentioned, one thing I've suggested and is that, that we have godly men, the multitude of godly counselors sit on a call with us and they get to make the decision. Yes. They hear it and they get to decide because we're in it. And and what are us as believers doing fussing with one another without godly wisdom? And, and it's not, we have to change. We have to be different. We need to be operating from love and biblical principles. I mean, the biblical conflict formula is go to them, go to them with a witness and then get godly counsel around you. And right. it'll get clear what three of those three pretty you get through 90-something percent of them that way. Well, Matthew 18 is a great admonition, particularly amongst believers, for how we should resolve conflict. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, we've had to run that process any number of times. People inside the firm, outside the firm. and You mean uh, everything you know, just doesn't work perfectly for you guys? Just like all downhill coasting, take your feet off the pedals kind of thing? Oh, man, there's it, <laughs> definitely say, 108 companies, man. There's some doozies we've had to work through in the last 10 years, but we're, we're, we're better for it. And I feel like in, you know, there's always things that we'd probably do a little bit differently, but, but mm-hmm. trying to live without regret. And, and if, you're, if we're communicating well and tr- really genuinely trying to love our neighbor, even when it's hard, then we it's can powerful. look ourselves in the mirror. Yeah. Well, the, the last couple of things I want to run by you. One thing before we jump into our final um, things is what do you say about you had mentioned something in some of my research around proprietary relationships. And I thought, what in the name of Jesus is proprietary relationships? So tell me a minute about proprietary relationships. Well, you know, so uh, I would uh differentiate. So what we're really trying to communicate with proprietary is more, there are process deals that uh, bankers and sell-side brokers bring to market. And then there are relational deals uh, where we're able to source the individual through a natural network that we have. Uh, We like doing investing uh, when we can actually get to know the seller um, and when we can actually listen to what they really feel like God is calling them to. Uh, and uh, for that to occur, not always, because there's some great you know, bankers out there who are also believers. But it's mostly proprietary. That's what you're saying. It's a proprietary deal flow where you've met someone by organic That's right. care and relationships, where someone thought enough of you to introduce someone they yeah. thought enough of. That's right. right. The opposite of proprietary would be, um, here's the sim on the deal. Don't talk to management. Just sell a, tell us what you're willing to pay for the company and uh, bids are due at midnight. So it's and, proprietary. The opposite is really just total transactional. The opposite of proprietary is total transactional, where it's really just about a number. And you hit a number, we're going to constrain actually the other variables that you might play with over here that really matter to the seller, because we really just want to get apples to apples. What that drives buyers to do uh, is use the maximum leverage they can you know, uh, Jess Carell and Doug Ditter are prone to say that, uh, you know, uh, with equity, you got to be right about the idea. With debt, you got to be right about the idea and the timing. And that's all. <laughs> that's all. So uh, we try to uh, under lever our deals in terms of debt 
and over equitize so that we and the founders sleep better at night and also have more optionality as we see what it's like to actually run the business in the first two or three years. So boy, those like, that 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 farm wisdom that Jess and them give. I, like the other day I'm talking to him and he said this guy had this strange thing going. He said, John, it was as curvy as a bucket of guts. I couldn't yeah. figure out. I said he said, I told him, get out of this thing immediately. I can't understand it. You can't either. <laughs> I, I've I've come at like any quote around uh debt, uh, I attribute to Jess and Doug, even if it wasn't <laughs> them, just because they're so uh it's a blanket. That's right. So I love that. Well, so listen to this. Let's figure out what you know that we should know. Who do you know about in the world doing some good work you'd like to give a shout out to? I know you've got 108 companies, so please no one take it personal that he doesn't love you. He's just helping out somebody at this point, and he'll help you later if you're not it. Well, I'll skip <laughs> over uh, Henry and FDI and FTE because I know you're well aware of them. Are you aware of uh, Mark Whitaker, what he's doing with T-Factor? I'm not. Yes. I always love being able to make a connection. So uh, <laughs> Mark uh, is um, runs T-Factor for Coca-Cola Consolidated. Uh, Coca-Cola mm -hmm. Consolidated is run by Frank Harrison out of Charlotte. They're a bottler, not Coca-Cola corporate, but a bottler. And I think they're the largest bottler, or one of the larger bottlers in the world. They've got 108 bottling facilities and they're a publicly traded company. And um, Mark in cohort with the Mark's got a tremendous testimony that I'll, I'll spare you on, but, um, but uh, I'll give it to you later. I'll let him give it to you. But the work that he's done with uh, Coca-Cola Consolidated's legal department to figure out what are the practices and principles that we can lean into as a publicly traded company that demonstrate uh, who we are in our faith to our employees and to our community and how do we actually stay in bounds and compliant with all the different things legally, legal wise that they need to be able to maintain compliance on? It's a phenomenal course. They do it twice a year. It's virtual. It's five awesome. hours. Yeah. We need that. I mean, that's such a I mean, isn't that something we all have to run into? How do we best be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove? How do we live in these worlds we live in with the most integrity we can? What a great one. <laughs> all right. 10 points for that. What about, what What have you done that we should do? What's an experience you say we have to have? Oh man, so you kind of uh, teased me with a potential example and then my mind started to run on it. But if you've never hiked the slot canyon that leads to the Grand Canyon called uh, the Havasu uh, Canyon hike, mm -hmm. it is about uh, three hours north of Phoenix. Uh, you take off from Hualapai Hilltop and hike down to the Havasu Indian Reservation. There's three spectacular waterfalls uh, down in the canyon that are just extraordinary. You can swim in. So great summer adventure. Very difficult to get uh, reservations. But if you show up with uh, with some <laughs> amount of cash, you can usually find a campsite. <laughs> so go with the cash campsite method he's recommending if the other doesn't work, which one of my mentors said, son, always carry a hundred dollar bill. I said, why? He said, because sometimes you may get on a plane and you don't want to sit next to that squalid baby. And he said, I promise you, somebody will take your seat. It's <laughs> great. Uh, yeah, that's wisdom from a man who traveled a lot uh, for a long time. So that's pretty good. what have you read that we should read? So I'll give you, uh, this is one that actually Stephen Phelan, our chief pastoral officer, uh, loving God and loving people. 
Yeah. And so it's part of the movement uh, mortgage story. But uh, Stephen and Casey have become great friends. This is a uh, just to show you kind of a cross section. It's the right length. It's a teeny book, guys. It's, it's maybe like 60 pages or 40 or yeah. something. Most people feel like, you know, they take a book that's this big and then they have to make it about that big. Otherwise, yeah. they charge for it. Stephen, yeah. my good friend, resisted the urge. He stayed. It just went small. That's right. That's right. So I'll send you well, one. That's awesome. you got it. Loving God, loving people. And I'll send you as many copies as you want or Stephen awesome. will rather. Great. Well, that's good. I can't wait for our folks to hear about where can they find? I'm going to put all the links in here, but I guess all the normal suspects, if they want to learn more about Sovereign and the work y'all are doing in the world, I'll put your website, social stuff, anything that's right. else. Yeah. You know, we're, we're a little restricted right now on what we can do. We need to work with accredited investors and qualified purchasers, but later this year, we're working on a product on the public equity side that um, will be more broadly available, but that's not, that's right. not here quite yet. Yeah. And of course there's a lot of our, our clients or accredited investors will want to think about. And guys, when you see the list of stuff they own, do business with them if you can. I mean, it's, I love putting my money to work in the kingdom through good folks. Luke, you guys are awesome. Um, the good y'all are doing and the kindness you've shown all kinds of folks and Ash and I especially is over the top. And so thank you for loving God, loving people in a way that is so attractive. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be on, John. I think so highly of the work you and Ash are doing. It's an honor and privilege. So very, very grateful. Well, guys, check every all these things out. And if we blessed you, then tell somebody. If we didn't bless you, listen to another episode, because I'm sure it will. It will bless you and tell somebody. We want folks to hear more about the idea that um, we can redeem people and places to their intended beauty and glory.